will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? The price is wrong, bitch. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And this week, I'm joined by a special guest host who's going to be joining me for pretty much the month of November, my brother, Matt. Matt, how you doing? Good, how about you? I'm doing all right. Um, you know, we're trying to find some escapism in these uh, interesting times. That That's about as far as we'll go into it. Um... Now, I know you've recently started doing your own kind of blog posting um, for film reviews, and so I figured while Leslie and uh, other Pat were uh, taking their breaks this month that we'd have you on the show, so it's not just me rambling on for who knows how long. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're trying to do with your blog, and, and if you want to promote it, feel free to promote it. Yeah, so... Um my uh, my blog is a, more about films that are classic films in the sense of they were from 40, 50, 60 years ago and may not be well known to people of today. And um, you can go look for my, uh, my Facebook page. It's Professor of Movies. Um, uh, that's kind of a, a call to... Uh, uh, our dad calling calling myself the professor a lot with baseball stats, uh, but uh, decided to use that as a term for 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 movies. Uh, it's professorofmovies.weebly.com uh, is the uh, blog website, and uh, there's a couple of movies on there. I haven't really gotten into a, a film to really review uh, this week, uh, or actually, it's been almost two weeks now since I've done a movie. Uh, the last one was uh, Pony Express. I've also done Paris When It Sizzles, and the first movie I did uh, was Alfred Hitchcock's uh, Rear Window. Um, and just trying to get people 
interested in these films um, uh, and kind of give, give them uh, kind of relevance for, for today. Yeah, because one, one of the things that seems to be prevalent nowadays is, uh, of course, we're in our 30s, so we're you know from the 80s and 90s and early aughts. Uh, that, you know, movies, when you reference, like, Back to the Future to a younger audience member, they may not necessarily know it, uh, you know, or even just going back to, to Hitchcock's uh, Psycho or Rear Window, um, that's kind of just how the sign of times comes along. I mean, our parents referenced movies that we didn't know about when we were younger, so uh, I'm, I'm really glad to see you starting that. I know you've had an interest in film, and, and you and I talk about movies a lot. We have, I think, different perspectives on film just because I of the family you were the more sports oriented of the kids and I was more film oriented but uh, I'm really really interested to get your perspective uh, on films and have you on on a more you know regular basis and, and talk about some movies now this week we're going to be talking about two films that you can find on Netflix both are foreign films um I will say that I watched the first film in the English dubbing which I don't typically tend to do, uh, but just for convenience sake, I, uh, I did it for the first film, but then in the second film, I watched it in the uh, original Norwegian. So we are going to be talking about uh, Nobody Sleeps in the Woods tonight and uh, Cadaver. Now, um, we're going to start with Nobody Sleeps in the Woods tonight. This is the one that I watched in English. I believe you watched both in their... Um, natural language so it'll be interesting to see if we have some different reads on that because like I said I I tend to stick with with the subtitles because you get the more truest performance and, and everything like that but just for some convenience sake um, I went with that now the trailers that we'll play will have the English dubbing because if we played them in their natural language no one would have any idea what they say um, so we're gonna go ahead and introduce nobody sleeps in the woods tonight the premise of this one is a um, group of technology-dependent teenagers goes to offline camp. Common hitchhiking in the woods without access to smartphones will not end, however, as planned by the organizers. They will have to fight for real life with something that they have not seen, even in the darkest corners of the internet. In the face of deadly danger lurking in the woods, they will discover what true friendship, love, and sacrifice are. So with that, here is the trailer. Is anybody in there? Grab my hand. Wait there, I'll go get help. What I want is for all of you to treat this camp as a kind of holiday. We will have fun. We're going to make some new friends. I'm four also. At the same time, we will analyze our problems. It's going to be a week full of adventures, so much fun and opportunities. My name is Isa. I'll be the leader of your group then. Well, off we go now. Did you know in Poland, 15,000 people disappear every year? A third of them in the woods? Guess we're contributing to the stats this year. Daniel! Bartek, Daniela, you two will stay here in the event that Daniel returns. Don't go anywhere. Are we clear? Myself and Zoja will look around nearby. But it's private property. We aren't allowed to go in. He's home, I say we go back, okay? Oh, 
friends are dead. So that was the trailer. Um, like I said, we played the English trailer uh, for it so you could under, kind of get an understanding for what the movie's about. I watched it in English. Um, and I don't know if my viewing of this would be probably more influenced if I watched it in the natural Polish. Um, because that's kind of... I think the acting was fine, um, even though some of the characters probably with kind of the English dubbing, it might not match with the actual inflection of their voices, but for the most part, I think it was fairly done well. Um, Story-wise, there are some issues. Um, to me, this is kind of a... Oh, what I had this reference in my head. It's kind of like heavyweights meets wrong turn in the, in the sense of, like, what kind of genres it's mixing, whereas, like, heavyweights were kids going to fat camp uh, to lose weight, and Wrong Turn, obviously, having these kind of murderous hillbillies. Um, and this kind of mixes that genre, or those two films together, because you have these kids going to camp because they're uh, obsessed with technology, which is kind of relevant to today's society. Uh, you know, even with people our age, we're kind of always having our phones with us, we're addicted, we're doing podcasts, we're streaming video games, you know, all, the, all this different stuff. So I, I like the premise... Um, but I think the overall execution in the story was where it really failed for me. Points I did like a lot was, um, I think the gore effects were, were very well done, a lot of it being very practical effects that I, I think were executed very well. Um, one specific kill is the bisecting of a cop near the end of the film, which was just, even though it doesn't show it fully, the effect is is really well done and, and really well executed. A lot of the mutilation is is just very very well done, and I think it's what helps that argument that practical effects, when done to the best of their ability, will always outdo any type of CGI um, work. So, I I really think it, it's strong in those aspects. I liked kind of the design of the killers um, and just them kind of being these mindless behemoths that, you know, really just were out just killing people and basically eating them. Um, but I do have some issues with some key scenes, uh, specifically Bartek uh, talking to um, uh, the blonde whose name is escaping me right now, and we'll probably butcher uh, any of these uh, any of these names because they are, they are Polish and, you know, we're American. Analea, I, I, I don't know. But anyways, he's going into a very emotional monologue, uh, talking about his his relationship with his father, and the scene kind of runs where the camera focuses on him, and then he looks over finally after not hearing a response for a couple minutes, and she has been murdered. I have issues with how he does not hear anything. You know, there, that, that there is a, a point... That, you know, he's going... And it's a very good monologue. It's very well acted, even in the English um, dubbing. It's very well done. But how do you not hear that is something I really took an issue with. Um, but other than that, I found the characters very relatable and understandable. I think uh, Zosha is 
we can really kind of understand why she is the survivor type with the bits of backstory that were delivered throughout the film. Um, and, you know, Ulix kind of the the normal kind of comedic character, and I liked his kind of uh, comparison of her to, like, Sarah Connor. Um, so I... I really liked kind of their intermixing and, and personal relationships. The the other, um, you not Ulick, um, Daniel, who's the only person who has an actual normal, normal sounding name, how he uh, kind of manipulates Analia by acting like he's a virgin, and then after they have their little hookup scene, he's immediately on Tinder, or the Polish version of Tinder, looking up new girls. Um, I, these, these felt like real teenagers, so I really give it credit for that, but I think story-wise, it, it really had some places that needed to shore up, much like um, minor spoiler, but there's an extraterrestrial influence into this that I don't feel like gets fleshed out enough, and there are some other story elements that, that needed working on. So, Matt, what, what thoughts did you have on the movie? Well, being my first time on here uh, to, to kind of give a review uh, of of this film. Uh, like you said, I, I listened to it in the normal uh, Polish uh, language, which made it easy and hard at the same time. I, I would say that it, it's, you gotta read the, the subtitles to kind of get the context of what they're talking about, and you may miss something on the screen when you're trying to read at that time. Uh, some background that I, I noticed from uh, doing uh, some research before watching this was uh, that the soundtrack was influenced by John Carpenter, which was really neat. I did like how uh, there were connections to other horror films. Uh, there was uh, some quotes from like An American Werewolf in London, uh, Miami Vice, uh, Terminator, like the Sarah Connor you were talking about, um, Friday the 13th, uh, Part 7, uh, that you have... Uh, a killing with the uh, sleeping bag, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, one of the kill scenes from Wrong Turn Two was like the scene was kind of uh, the same. And that's I, I think you're referencing like the, the bisecting scene because that's I think at the very beginning of Wrong Turn Two, the the girl that's that shows up, that's what happens to her. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen Wrong Turn Two, so I don't know. I, I remember that part, but. Uh, what I kind of got from this was I was kind of trying to relate uh, what you said about heavyweights and wrong turn is, is spot on. It would, um, I, I did like that it relates to today with the uh, internet where we are addicted to it. Um, you, I mean, you had a, the typical cast of characters for a horror film. You had the geek, you had a jock, you had a hot girl, and then a girl that has had some issues in the past that really do, you do find out later on in the film what those issues were. And I think that shows her strength that she had in the film. Um, uh, the hand on the tree was kind of creepy at, at one scene in the film. I, I, I'm still trying to get how, the, how that figure could hide behind that tree. So that was a little, a little difficult. Um, uh, the... I, you could see with them being addicted to uh, technology, some of the kids didn't even know how to even pitch their tent. Um, I haven't gone camping in a while, so it, I'd probably be in the same boat. Um, the, uh, let's see here. 
outside of the beginning, there was 30 minutes uh, gap of, of killing. So, like, I was kind of curious when things were going to start going. So, it felt kind of slow for me. Uh, it is almost a two-hour movie. Um, other than that, I really... Um, I got wrong turn vibes throughout the film. Uh, I wish there would have been more of a backstory with uh, what exactly happened uh, to the, the kids at the beginning of the film. And I'd also like to know what happened to the camper, the other campers. Like obviously they, they spread out, they were doing other things in, uh, in the priest. The priest was another interesting, like it almost gave me the idea that he was involved. Uh, in the in this uh, knowing what was going on, and uh, and the old man that the they were trying to get with, and he kind of gave the backstory. I, I was finally happy at that moment that you kind of got to know exactly what happened thirty years prior um, in this story. Other than that, I mean, I felt that it was a lot better than I was expecting as far as. From what I saw in the trailer, I did like uh, the multiple trailers on Netflix. Uh, there's one that kind of gave you like an 80s horror film vibe. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just felt like it, it was better than I expected, but I did feel like it was a, a lot like uh, the U.S.'s uh, wrong turn. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't disagree with you on that. And um, we're, we might verge on spoilers here, so... Before we go any further, we'll just go ahead and give a spoiler uh, warning because there are some things I do want to kind of discuss um, that that will play more into kind of revealing certain things about the story and characters. Uh, so if you have not watched the movie, um, go on watch it on Netflix right now, and uh, then you can come back and listen to this. But you have been warned; we will be talking uh, bit spoilers now. Um, so. Yes, the, the thing that needed fleshing out more, and, and feel free to interject on anything I say here, is kind of the whole meteorite. Yeah. Um, that, that, that gave us at least an idea of what happened to these boys, because earlier on, like once, they, once the, uh, the campers are kind of uh, trying to find Daniel after he was murdered, um, they find the house, and as they're exploring the house, we see the pictures of the two boys, and... Like you said, later, the old man who, uh, I don't think they did a good enough job connecting that he is the mailman from the beginning uh, in the flashback sequence. See, I didn't get that. Yeah, because of his legs. They took his legs, uh -huh. and so I don't, I don't feel like they set that up well, that that reveal yeah. well. Um, I, I, I saw it, and that's another thing a little bit about this movie, is there are some very predictable moments, mm -hmm. um, some, some moments that are very easily foreshadowed. But the, the meteorite uh, has like a, a Venom from Marvel Comics-esque kind of thing to it, whereas it's like this ooze or liquid that kind of starts infecting one of the boys and then starts infecting the other boy. And then that's immediately... Right. I got that vibe as well was the Venom. That's what it reminded me by. Right, and yeah, it, it doesn't... We don't understand what this thing is or what it's done to the boys. All we know is it's basically made them ravenous creatures and obviously mutates them as they grow older. And their mother is just doing her best to raise her boys and, you know, trying to protect them. Yeah, the, mu the mutation makes it a little hard for me to understand how they could see because you can never see their eyes fully. 
Well, I, I will go a step further for it, just like whatever is infecting them, it doesn't maybe necessarily need their eyes, you know, because obviously they've got these pustules and all these other things on their bodies, but it, it just, we needed to understand a little bit more about what this substance was, what it was doing to the boys, how, I think if it had been a gradual change, um, we, we could have at least gotten a little bit more out of it. And like you said, it is, it is about two hours. It runs about an hour and 45 minutes. And there is a very long lull of just nothing really happening. It, it is a lot of character setup, which is what I give it strong points for, because we, we understand each of the characters' motivations, and uh, you can kind of come to love them a little bit, or at least grow attached to them, which is something that is, I think, essential to any horror film for the, their deaths to have any impact is you need to latch onto those characters. You need to grow, have some attachment towards them. But it, it just, story-wise, there's a lot of things that don't work out, and you mentioned the priest. I think that the, what would have improved this a little bit more is had only one of the brothers infected, and after the mother passed away, the other brother is doing his best to you know, keep his crimes hidden and everything and, and take care of him and feed him. And that would have made more sense of character motivation for the priest because as we find out from Bar Bartok's monologue, or it may have been revealed a little bit earlier, I might have missed it, but we, we find out he's gay. And uh, he sh when he shows up at the church after Analia is killed, um, n and this is where I say it, it, it's very easy to figure out which scene goes which way, because also during this time we have Zosha and Yulik at the old man's house, and it's it's giving you the red herring that the old man is going to be the bad character, and then the big twist is is the priest is the bad character. It's very foreshadowed. Yeah. Um, but there's no real proper motivation for the priest to attack Bartek, because he lies to him about the phone, and then... He, uh, once the phone rings, he knocks him out, and then once he comes to, he's kind of strapped to a chair, and then the priest goes in on about how he, you know, it's, it's because of his gayness or something like that, that it's, that they're, that he, he wants to basically hurt Bartek, which it just, it felt inconsistent, and it didn't feel like it was fully fleshed out. Yeah, I, I, I found that very interesting, um, and then, at the same time, with uh, Bartek, he survives that moment in yeah. the church, which I found very interesting that he makes it further into the movie. And then, uh, obviously, with the old man, you have uh, what happens to Bartek. And yes, which I, I honestly, um, I knew somebody other than one of the creatures was going to be shot. I would have thought it would have been a very interesting twist if it had been Zosha. That's what I was thinking it was going to be. when. So when I saw Bartek, I found it very surprising because I'm like, why didn't the creature or person kill him? Yeah. And, like, did he show sympathy or, or something to him? Um, the other part that I think the end really does well is it kind of sets up for maybe an, a, another film. Yeah. And I was looking in, at what the director was talking about. He, he would like to go and extend the story, which he is also a co-writer of. So, the way that the movie ends, I feel it's very necessary 
for there to be a continuation. Maybe that gets us into more of the transformation of these two and obviously more killing. Right. Yeah, I, I think um, I think that's where this movie really suffers. I think uh, cinematography-wise, soundtrack-wise, acting-wise, it's all very strong. Um, but the story was just a little too weak for me. It, we've, we've discussed this with a few movies in the past on the podcast where it just needed some more fine-tuning. It may have even needed to shave off or potentially add maybe tw- another 20 minutes to come out to a two-hour movie, give us more backstory and explaining what was going on but for being uh, a foreign horror film with obviously showing some uh, homages to American horror uh, films and, and stuff like that it is a nice entry I don't think any horror fan, horror fan is going to have a bad time with the movie but they might pick up on some of these things that it's like okay well we've seen this before but if you're going to do it in this way you need to have a little bit more uh, more explanation for, for some of the stuff. Do you think uh, you could see some American director or writer trying to do an American version of this one? Uh, I would say yes if we didn't already have a wrong turn reboot coming out. Um, and, and honestly, I'm not sure I'd want an American version of this movie because what we kind of traditionally see with foreign films that then get an American version of them, I'd say outside of The Ring, they don't really do well. Um, The Grudge, for example, is one that I found massively disappointing. Um, I don't even think I've seen the original Juwan, but even as just a film that came out in the States, I was very disappointed in it. Um, Pulse, I think, is another one that just it didn't do well. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones off the top of my head, but it, it's just, I guess Suspiria would be the closest because Suspiria was an Italian horror film by Dario Argento that then got, quote-unquote, an American remake with uh, Dakota Johnson that it did enough to differentiate itself, so it's those are two separate movies that just have a similar concept that I think that that's where it works, so if you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it in that way where you're going to take some ideas, but then you're going to put your own different spin on it. And that's some of these classic remakes that, um, well, remakes of classics, rather, not classic remakes, uh, that, that I think will do it right, and people will probably disagree with me on this, is the, the Child's Play remake and the Robocop remake. Because one thing that I, I really enjoy about those two films, uh, even though they're not perfect, is that they're taking the kind of the core aspects, but they're putting a different spin on it. So one thing I will always stand for versus, because uh, I was not a fan of the Pet Cemetery remake, if it's not based on an actual novel of that type of source material, I think it has more flexibility in the, the changes you can make with it. Whereas like, RoboCop was an, a film, and so they took kind of the idea of RoboCop, but then they updated it for the 2000s. Uh, Child's Play, yes, it deviated from kind of the evil doll possession, but it updated it to a modern kind of perspective with kind of AI-controlled toys. It doesn't mean those movies are perfect, but I think that since that's it's adapting a different type of source material, I think that's where it works. And so 
if an American version of Nobody Sleeps in the Woods Tonight makes makes it, I think you keep the concept of the kids uh, with the camp and the technology thing, because I think that that's not specific to any one nation. I think uh, yeah, that is a, universal. It, it is universal. Um, but I think you have to change up a little bit about the, the killers. Um, so, and that's where I think you can't really, you would go the wrong turn route where it would just be these kind of inbred hillbillies that were going around killing people. But since we already have the wrong turn series and we have the wrong turn reboot coming, um, I don't think it would really work in, in, okay. in America right now, maybe, maybe 10 years from now, but um, with that said, is there anything else you want to say about the movie or any other points you want to hit on? Well, I was trying to find a character in the film that I would really relate to, and I, I felt you and I would both relate to Jolik. Jolik, yeah. Jolik. And, uh, and it's more of Jolik on your side of quoting movies and me for my nerdiness and geek-like. <laughs> geek I... I, I really related to him, and uh, since we've already mentioned the, the spoiler stuff, uh, I hated seeing him go. Yeah. I honestly, um, I thought his death was going to be a little bit different. Um, I, I thought they would have gone a little bit more comedic route because of the, he was going to distract um, one of the, the creatures while she would go in and sneak the phone. And as that music is kind of swelling up, and he's it's got he's finally kind of gathered this courage, I just figured the other one was just going to show up and just like chop his head off right then and there. I thought that would have been a, a little fun twist to it, but I did I did like how it went, and I also liked how Zosha, you know, gave him kind of the peck on the cheek and everything. It, it showed that their relationship really kind of grew through this this trial and tribulation. It just unfortunately doesn't work out well for yeah. him. And in her background, I mean, once once you see exactly the tragedy she dealt with, uh, really, uh, you you feel sorry for her, and that she's going through another tragedy that's not probably ten times worse. Yeah, ten times worse <laughs> than what what she dealt with the first time. But what she saw both times, I think it gave her the amount of courage to just get the heck out of there. Right. And um, one final point, and as most people know, we don't really like to go into politics or anything on the podcast, but I, I, I saw this out there, and we're not going to go into too much on it, but uh, I just kind of also want to ask you the question, because I saw another reviewer mention that there's, um, that there's some, some commentary on far-right ideology. I didn't quite find it there. Now, there are two particular characters uh, that are in the film for all of five seconds, really, um, that that are like that. But I think that even if you're going to take it in that route, you've got to look at the historical context of Poland and uh, its history in World War II. Um, but nowhere in this movie did I feel like it, it was a commentary, a denouncing, a uh, even an issue. Um, and so I, I don't know if that's a valid point to even say that this has any type of, of commentary, criticism, acknowledgement of far-right ideology. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll admit that it was kind of odd when you hear on the police scanner that there's two drunk, drunk
drunk guys walking out roaming the woods and celebrating Hitler's celebrating birthday. Hitler's birthday. I found that interesting, but as you said, uh, with the history of Poland, I mean, Poland was one of the first countries invaded by the Nazis, so uh, they have been brought up in a different way than than we are uh, here in America. I mean, before here, I mean, uh, you had uh, points of where homosexuality was was a bad thing, and uh, and now you've seen society. Come, be more accepting, at least here in the United States, where over there it's traditionally conservative, Christian, and everything, and you, uh, they don't look at it the same way. Uh, I mean, my personal belief, I, I'm not going to really uh, bring out here on the on the show. I don't want to get uh, uh, into politics too much because this is about movies. But I just didn't see it as well. Uh, I, I, there's just a small moment. Uh, of it with these two guys, but what was very interesting is 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 you see the 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 creature come back up uh, off the off the road, and then you see the other one with police lights outside the house. It makes you really interested into whether this will become uh, the first movie of a of a sequel. Uh, two movies, or could be a trilogy. I mean, obviously, we've seen Wrong Turn turn into six movies. I haven't seen all of them, uh, but uh, maybe this expands on it, and I'd be very interested to see uh, where the story goes. Right, and and even on those those two characters, um, no one takes them seriously. Like even the cops are just like, hey, just keep an eye out for them. Just make sure they just don't do anything. So it's it's not like. Poland itself, like that the, the majority of the population agree with these guys, or even just in this local area. So, I, 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 yes, it's slightly there. And one thing you and I talked about before recording is, is kind of this idea that, that politics and horror or politics and film are, are, have always been there and that they're always, that they're intercha interchangeable or at least entwined in, in a way that you can't separate them. I don't really believe that that idea is true. And, and so I, I think some people, now the next movie we'll talk about can be viewed in a political light, but that's, I also don't think that the movie's necessarily making a political statement either. Um, but it, it's just one thing that I saw, and, and I have all respect for the person that, that, that put that uh, review up, and I'm, I'm, so it's not me trying to knock them down or, or negatively impact them. They, they have every right to, to see that in the film. <coughs> Excuse me, but I personally, and as as you said, <coughs> we didn't see it there, but it doesn't mean it's. I guess it's not there for for other people, and, and I'll one other thing I'll, I'll bring up briefly is just even the monologue of the character of Bartek, who is gay, and you know he talks kind of about his relationship with his father, and I think if you were going to make the argument of it kind of being his relationship with his father is an, uh, is an example of that far-right uh, mentality, I think you would have a, have a different monologue coming from him. Because as much as that's, that's dis, disappointing that his father doesn't necessarily quote-unquote accept him, his father also doesn't beat him, doesn't denounce him, doesn't treat him like shit. He just doesn't openly acknowledge that Bartek is gay. And... As much as that's kind of a horrible thing for a father to do, he could be doing worse. Uh, 
And like we've said, Poland being kind of a very kind of conservative type, uh, traditional type country, at least from what our understanding of, of kind of how Poland works, it's not too far out of the ordinary, uh, or at least out of the, the realm of possibilities. So I, I just thought that was a, an interesting perspective to kind of pick up on, but I, I just didn't see it there. And again, other people could probably see it there and comment on it, and I, I'm more power to them. And I, I think that everyone is valid to their interpretations of the film. So on, on that note, that's about as far as we'll venture into the politics t type of thing. But uh, I think it's time to go ahead and score these movies. So I'm going to go ahead and lead off with the what out of five do you give this movie? I'd probably give it a three. That's, that's the number I'm going to land on as well. Um, I, I wanted to like it more, uh, but just the story elements really were hard for me to overcome. I, I just think that there was a lot of, of plot holes, a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of like what I think the director thought was a cool moment. Like Honestly, visually... The, the moment of Analia's death is really cool because it's someone who, you know, he, he's having his whole monologue and he's going and he's just opening his heart out and then he looks over and the person he's been talking to for the past three minutes is dead. Yeah, I don't understand how you cannot hear that pierce the back of her Or soul. even her grunting, you know, because yeah. there's going to be some type of actual reaction. audible reaction. Even just the guy creeping up on them statistically in a woods is going to crunch a few branches or leaves yeah if you had like uh noise canceling headphones i could <laughs> understand that but. right yeah exactly like if it were if it were where he was they were just sitting at that lake and uh and he had headphones on was listening to music it, it would make completely different sense but it, it just it doesn't quite although visually i will say it looks really cool and it's a cool moment to have but logistically and logically speaking it's just inconsistent but um i still enjoyed it I, I think out of the two movies we watched this week uh it was the one i enjoyed the least um and i don't know how that will go for you and cadaver but we'll be discussing that here in a minute um i i just think it needed a little shoring up if it does get a sequel i'm gonna watch it um i would like to see see more of this i, I think one of the greatest things about kind of the streaming world nowadays is that we do get to see some of these foreign films that we don't normally get to see uh i know like blockbuster would get a couple maybe foreign films and, and like that's how i got introduced to i believe that's how i got introduced to cold prey which is a great foreign horror film slasher film and uh, it, it's a series that i really really enjoy and i don't think i would have been able to get that exposure so kind of the benefits of having something like Netflix or Amazon, even Hulu, is getting more exposure to foreign horror and these different directors and writers and their ideas. And even some of their commentary on, on American culture is, is a little interesting because like we've said, there's, there's some obvious influences and references to American horror films of the 80s. So um, with that said, we're going to go ahead and move on to our next film, which is also on Netflix, and that is Cadaver, which is Norwegian. And this is the one I did actually watch in the Norwegian. Um, but the, the premise of this one is, in the starving aftermath of a nuclear disaster, a family of three attends a charitable event at a hotel, which takes a dark turn when people start to disappear. So with that said, we'll go ahead and we'll play the trailer for you.
What makes us human? In times like these, what separates us from animals? Love? Lots. Hope. Come, come, come! Well, I think we could all use a little break from this nightmare we live in. Don't you agree? Just surviving isn't enough. Mankind needs to feel something. The hotel is the stage. You will now be given masks. They are the boundary between fact and fiction. go ahead and start us off. All right, well, with Cadaver, um, I really enjoyed this film in the sense of I felt it was more realistic than the uh, Nobody Sleeps in the Woods. Um, I felt that, to give a little background, I mean, with you kind of gave that already, but uh, there's like a, a nuclear war or nuclear explosion happens. There's famine across the board, and then you got this uh, hotel that's got a theater show with uh, with this family and I felt that at that point when you're having a hard time finding food you're, you're about to do anything to uh, make your family survive uh, however I the thing I had with this film is is that I honestly wouldn't go to the extent that they they did and that's more of uh, I don't really want to spoil anything right now, but with the the title, I already had the sense of what was right. going to happen, and uh, I I'd rather die than deal with this. But uh, the acting was very well done. I, as I did with the other film, watched it in its native language, uh, so it was a lot of reading, and I actually enjoyed that a lot because. You get newspaper clippings that give you a lot of backstory of how they got to this point. And so, watching it in that, uh, I don't know if in the English dubbing it would have done that or not. It would have. Okay. Well, uh, it just, it, it helps you kind of get a backstory because I, I do that even in American films. I'll uh, look at the headlines. Let me, let me preface that, or uh, reference it again. If you have the subtitles still on, it will do that. Gotcha. Okay, so... Um, the acting was, was well done. I, I, I felt the acting in both films was, was pretty well. Um, I felt this had a, in a sense, a stronger story. Um, it really shows what lengths you would take to protect your family. Um, I found it very interesting that the, in order to protect yourself, your sense of protection was to put a mask on. And the way it twists later on in the film, uh, it really goes to show you how uncomfortable it is for the characters in this film to see exactly what is going on in this hotel. Uh, I had a sense of 
not believing, not trusting this guy from the get-go. Um, and that was even before watching the trailer. That uh, was just from the uh, little tidbit um, teaser uh, that there was some troubled past that is causing this guy to go to this extent. Um, I like the little in, uh, trap doors and stuff throughout the film that there's there's buttons on paintings and everything. Uh, and I, I really felt it was done well. Um, uh, my wife wants to, to watch it and uh, wants to uh, hear my thoughts on it as well. I really think uh, she'll enjoy it. I think a lot of you guys will enjoy it as well. Um, it was very well done. Um, it, it, I kind of looked at it as a sense of with what's going on in today's world, if it got that bad, would we would people go to this length? And I think some would. Uh, I mean, you've seen it in the past when uh, when we first came to settle in the, in the colonies when uh, uh, the, the English settlers didn't have enough food. They resorted to what goes on in this film. Uh, at that point, they knew what they were doing. Uh, the, the characters in the beginning of this film don't know what's going on. Uh, and everything, but I, I really felt it was it, it was well done, and uh, uh, I, I really recommend it. Yeah, I um, this I think was the stronger of the two movies that we watched this week. Um, I really, I really liked this one. Um, it was funny because I was uh, recommending this to someone on Twitter, and I actually was just really starting a movie, and uh, we got a comment later in that thread about like they thought it was. This other group, not not necessarily the person I was responding to, but they thought it was one to kind of skip on. That they just didn't. It didn't work for them. And I could see where this wouldn't work for someone. Uh, it's as much as we talked about the kind of there's that lull in nobody sleeps in the woods. Um, this is very much kind of even though it's shorter, it's an hour and twenty nine minutes long, so it's it's very compact film. It is a slow burn. Um, it it. it it does what it needs to do, and it need, and that's setting up the world. Within the first 13 to 20 minutes, you understand the world that these people are living in. Like you said, there's the newspaper clippings about the nuclear explosions. We understand that it's this family, and they're doing whatever they can to try to kind of survive on the low availability of food. And then, uh, and actually, I think you you kind of gave me a funny way to look at the movie uh, before even watching it. When you, uh, when I sent you what we were going to watch, you said you got Willy Wonka, a dark Willy Wonka vibe yes. to it. And that's actually very apt, I think, uh, because it's kind of the golden ticket. Uh, you're being brought in, and you're going to be given food, and you get a show, and everything. But then, things aren't quite as they seem. And I, um, I, I felt... I think there's if there's one word to really describe the movie, it's atmospheric. I think that's what the film does best in this one. Uh, in this one is it just has a great atmosphere, and and it's and it's emboldened by the score. The one thing other than atmosphere that I really liked about this movie was the score. I think the score is very passionate. It, it definitely gives you the sense of dread in the right moments, and uh, and it's just a. a beautiful percussions and everything that just help develop that atmosphere. And I think that the set of the hotel itself is so well designed 
to also give you kind of that sense of um, disorientation. Like, uh, once they kind of lose Alice first, but then they find her again, or might not, they might not have even lost her uh, at first, they, but they are trying to follow one of the characters in the play, and they end up back in the kind of the central stairwell. And just kind of looking at those mazes, the maze of stairs, and then seeing no one else quite around, and, and Jakob going, like, hey, where is everybody? Yeah. Um, and it also kind of does this very good psychological manipulation. As you mentioned, the kind of the buttons and the paintings, we have um, the, the mother, uh, Leonora, kind of also questioning her own sanity at certain points because at one point she's looking at a picture of a lamb's head and she sees an eye blink. And then Jakob checks it and he goes, it's just a painting. But then we see how that all occurs. Um, I do think it's very kind of straightforward what's going on. Uh, and I think it, it does a, just a very good job of developing the story. Uh, like I said, you, you get attached to the characters within those first 20 minutes. You don't need a full backstory on them. And it develops enough mystery but, uh, behind Mateus that uh, you get pieces of his story as she progresses through the film. And practical effects, again, are very strong in this movie. I, I'd say it's a little more toned down than, than Nobody Sleeps in the Woods. Um, but it's, it's subtle enough and, and at least gruesome enough that you still get the, the reaction that you need to from the film. Um, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, and I don't, I don't really want to talk spoilers about this one, but I, I feel like we're going to kind of have to. So, again, um, we're going to go ahead and give you a little bit of a spoiler warning. If you haven't watched the movie, again, it's on Netflix. Go check it out. Highly recommend checking it out. Um, but we do have some, some points that I kind of want to discuss as well that, that kind of do some revelations that even though you might get the idea it's best to kind of uncover it as you go along um so all right you've been warned so we find out obviously that with the title of the movie they're eating human flesh soil and green yeah pretty much but um i think one of the the very interesting aspects though of this movie, and you don't really get the idea until the end of the film, or near the end of the film, is that not even the actors are aware that that's what they're consuming. That, only only Mateus knows. And that that's the part that really made me enjoy this movie more than Nobody Sleeps in the Woods. Uh, because the whole movie, you you feel like they know exactly yeah. what's going on. And uh, I, I was shocked, really, when I found out that they they didn't know what was going on. And that when you do get the backstory of Matthias, you really are like, why did it drive you this mad that you would want to kill people to feed? Um... I mean, obviously losing his his daughter, I'm sure it would drive anybody mad to lose their own kid. I, I'd hate to lose my son. But I don't know if I, it would drive me to the madness, especially if, you know, obviously we're not dealing with a nuclear holocaust. Right. 
to start killing people to feed people. Well, I'm not even sure that necessarily his daughter, losing his daughter, drove him mad. Um, I think that plays more into why Alice disappears. And in all honesty, it was to, and why he even accepts her, because as, as they're coming in, the, the ringleader or whatever, whatever the guy is that hands out the tickets says, well, no, there's no children. Because they, they, they at least draw a line on children, that the children that are actually at the hotel already are part of the actors. And, uh, which is another great, I think, twist in the film that I didn't, I kind of suspected, but I didn't fully expect it. Um, that, you know, even the people, Lars and Katarina, are actors. And, and we kind of get that hint later on. Because, like, once, once we, you know, once we find Katarina, and then, of course, she disappears, we're assuming, oh, no, they got her too, and then they run into Lars. But then Lars acts sketchy enough that you're like, okay, something's up here. And then when it's later revealed that, the some of the people at the table are the actors, and that like, okay, the re the way that helps us get past knowing who some of these people are is the gold mass. Um, but I don't really think it's his, it's losing his daughter that drives him mad to kill people. It's it's the pure want to survive. Yeah. Um, that there is no other way of really surviving without sustenance, and the only source of sustenance is the people. So I, I really think that that's the central motivation for him. And that Alice coming with them to the show, the reason he accepts her into the show is, okay, I'm going to abduct her at one point and essentially have my daughter back. Yeah. And there, I mean, there's a lot of twists and turns in this movie. Uh, you obviously see one of the actors slice his throat, that he didn't want to do it anymore, and then he shows up again, which I was... At first, I didn't recognize because it didn't really, the camera didn't focus on his neck at first. So I'm thinking this is another butcher or somebody, chef, uh, holding her husband, and then they show the neck, and I'm like, wait, that's the guy from the beginning. Um, I, I, I like the twist and turns there. The part that makes it a challenge that the actors didn't know is with Lars, because... He knows, yeah. yeah he knows. Yeah. And... Uh, because of that, that butcher scene, that, that really got to me, especially when she is tied upside down and Lars is getting her prepped. Yeah. And it's like watching a cow being prepped for her butcher and her husband comes. And it, it, it really confused me, especially first time seeing this movie, confused me that it was like he wanted to survive so he's going to join this group and then you honestly when he takes the scalpel and he's going to look looks like he's going to slice her throat open you can see in his eyes he's going to snap and turn around and take uh, attack Lars I wish he would have made it because of of that because I've, I've found that to be a very heroic moment. I didn't really want to see him him die in that scene. Uh, but the effects and stuff, I mean, uh, being able to quickly show Lars hanging on a hook at yeah. the end was really cool. Uh, I, I liked all the twists, the, the drop doors, the trap doors that 
that brought the people down. Yeah. You really see that now because, like, that right in the last qu quarter of the film, it's like it's running through the beginning again, but then you're seeing it the second time, and she really sees very well that this is where they dropped people in and they started butchering them. And the part that really grossed me out, it wasn't really that it was gory. It was watching them make, like, ground chuck. Out oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and one of the other things, because we're talking about, like, kind of the twists and turns, is how she manipulates Mateus's system. Because she's there for both ballroom sequences, uh, where he's talking to the, the group of actors, and that he um, specifically tells them, create a character that's going to make them want to follow. So when she shows up near the end of the film and they're all kind of sitting at the table and there's still a group of the actors, she's trying, of course, she's not wearing the mask. And also she uses that mask yes. to, to manipulate and actually get to her own survival. Yeah. Um, but she, when she has no mask and she's there confronting Mateus and, and the other group of the actors and she has all the other uh, audience members that are watching her, and Mateus goes, okay, I can twist this on her and start laughing at what she says, even though she's telling them the truth. So then the audience believes, okay, this is just part of the show. So what does she do? She, she twists it on him by going and acting. And like that's, that's what really this whole movie is kind of you know, focused on, is the acting. So she creates the character. And you could see that in the beginning if you really pay attention into the room that they are staying in. At the beginning, whatever. Oh, the place, the Macbeth poster. The Macbeth poster, that made me know that she was an actor. Yeah. So when she does pull that scene off, that it was interesting. But if you rewind just a couple of seconds before she pulls that off, you can tell the you people can, in yeah. the mask were kind of confused. But then they started laughing. Well, that's because Mateus started laughing. Yes. Yeah. And so like. That makes you think, as the watcher, that that there's no way this woman's crazy. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, that or that she's just part of the show. So this yeah. is just part of the performance. So she she takes that and manipulates it to the extent of, okay, well here I'll convince them by having them follow me, and then that's when we get the other actors to also follow because they're trying to stop her because they they just don't. They just assume the people are being killed, and they're taking their valuables, selling it for food. Es essentially, that was my read on it. Because okay. Katarina even says, I thought we only s we, we sold their, uh, their possessions. And um, yet, once she takes everyone back there, and Norwegian Johnny Galecki, uh, as I kind of called him, the guy with the beard and the black hair, because that's all I could picture in my mind was Leonard from Big Bang Theory. Okay. Um, and so I just labeled him Norwegian Johnny Galecki. Uh, once they get there and they see the kind of roast beefing of a hand, of an arm, and, and the ground chuck, that that's when you know they had no idea either. And, that, and I don't know if the director and stuff was trying to relate that or pay homage to Soylent Green. Oh my God, it's really people. Maybe, but uh, I think we've had enough kind of cannibalistic movies where that's that's kind of always yeah. been the subversion. Maybe. Yeah, and, uh, but yeah, like, I, I completely forgot I had texted you um, to say that it, it reminded me of a horror Willy Wonka, yeah. but Willy Wonka in itself is a little also bit dark, <laughs> and the fact that the, the kid
kids disappear and you never see them again. So, like, that's where I felt like this was a lot like a, a Willy Wonka. Uh, Willy Wonka meets Hostel. Yeah. Uh, but unlike Hostel, I can't stand Hostel. I, I, I haven't watched it since I've seen it the first time. I've seen it a couple times. I'd rather watch Cadaver again than Hostel. Yeah, well, and I like a lot of the, um, the, the mutilation is implied. We don't really see a whole lot of it, um, which I think works for this movie, because this, this whole movie, it's more akin to a mystery. You know, you're, you're trying to understand along with Leonora what is going on here. Now, my big question is at the climax or the f final scene of the film, because we, we saw her obviously turn him down. He wanted, Mateus wanted her to join them because no one else had survived as long as she had uh, around there. So she's taking Alice back to where they live in the city. And she's seeing, of course, the, either dead bodies or people sleeping out on the ground and just realizing kind of the, the desolation that they're going back to. She turns around, she looks back at the hotel, and the hotel is kind of shining as this beacon of hope. Do you, do you think either she's going to try to continue it on, or is it just, here's a better place to go live? Because I think, as an audience member, you can almost read it both ways. Yeah, I, I would say it's leaning more towards a better place to live. Mm -hmm. I don't think she would ever want to go and kill people to sustain because I think even in, at some point in the film, she even says, I'd rather die than eat people. Right. But I, but it's, it's the once she goes back and she's seen everything, after having gone through that, that experience, there's something there. Because you see her and she's looking at the people sleeping on the ground. She's looking at the burnt out buildings. She's looking at just kind of this death around her. That maybe Matthias was right. Yeah. But... At the same point, I... I you want to hope not. I hope not. Right. Yes. But, but the possibility, the seed is planted. Because as much as you might despise Matthias, uh, Matthias um, for the actions he's doing, his pure, simple motivation is, I want to survive. I want my, quote-unquote, family to survive. And that is Leonora's motivation is she wants to survive, she wants her daughter to survive. So, it, it's, it's there. And, you know, and, and that, that, that kind of open ending, I think, really works for the movie, too. It's, it's just like, depending on how you read the film in its entirety and how you react to the characters, you can infer whatever you want that's going to happen afterwards. Yeah. And I honestly feel... It it was a good closing. Oh yeah. That it doesn't necessarily need a sequel. To no, no, no. It this this just needs to be a one and done uh, because I think it's it's so masterfully done. I think it it fires on pretty much all cylinders. I don't think that there was much I disliked about this movie. Um, that's why I just didn't understand the 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 one Twitter comment where the person was like, "Yeah, we found this one as a skip it. Maybe it was too much of a slow burn for people." Which is a valid criticism, I think. I know, but I was a theater kid, um, you know, in high school. So, kind of the whole aspect of the theater part of it, and then trying to understand what is an act, what isn't an act, who are actors, who are not actors, and what obviously should have been our hint when you look at it in retrospect. Because the whole comment about the only way we know you're not 
per, uh, actors is if you have the mask on. Well, when they come across Katarina, and when they come across Lars, neither one of them is wearing a mask. Yeah. So that, that should have been our indication. But I also like that idea that, that there's that subtleness to it, that we don't even know that the peop some of the people at the table are in on the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, once you see that second time, they, uh, the guy that stormed off in the first yeah. part. Johnny, Johnny Galecki. Norwegian. That was positive. So that's who you were in there. Okay. Uh, yeah, I... Seeing him the second time, that that confirmed that he was right. an actor. Yeah. Uh, the first time, I'm just thinking, this is someone that was just invited. They're sitting there at the table. Uh, so, like, I, I agree with you that it, it's, it's very much a mystery, and I think that's what I enjoyed it. You didn't have to see all the gore and all of what happens. Leaving it in your mind yourself to draw the conclusions, okay, the people that just dropped in that room, yeah, they're, they're getting their limbs cut off. Well, and, and not only that, it's also because th there's also this, this doubt, too, that a lot of these things are happening because we see kind of Leonora hallucinating a little bit, having instances of seeing, like, all these red dresses falling and then seeing her daughter in multiple areas where, you know, she couldn't move that quick or anything like that. The, the whole thing with the paintings, because, like, there's even the scene where they take the one painting off the wall and there's no door there. And then, of course, it's, we find out that switch on the painting, which I don't... Logistically, I don't know how that works, but it, it, it does well enough to plant the seed in your mind to go, okay, maybe things are kind of on the up and up, and maybe she's just losing it from everything. So there's, there's all these conflicting different perspectives and ideas of what's going on here. The, the husband, you know, finds their daughter's doll, and, he, you know, there's blood on it, but then they find the blood packet, and then he tastes it and realizes it's corn syrup and stuff like that. So there's a lot there that, you know, can maybe convince someone that's watching it without knowing all these other details. Okay, it is just a show, and okay, they got her daughter, and they'll get, you know, they'll get it back. And, but then we, as we continue on this journey with her and Jakob, that we, we see that there's more nefarious purposes behind it. Yeah, and uh, it drew me back to that nightmare she had that for at the beginning of the film where Alice isn't in the bed. Yeah. And so, like, when you do see her in multiple spots, is this real or is this, like, she's passed out? Right. Or, or what, what's really going on in that moment? Yeah. Um, all right, well, I don't have... Anything else to really say about the about the movie? The one thing I will say is that uh, much like the last movie, this was also written by the director. So I think he did a good job on both fronts. Of I think his story is very tight. It's concise. Uh, it it doesn't have anything that I consider filler. It doesn't have anything that I consider unimportant. Um, I think it just it does what it needs to do, and I think he was very successful in that. So for me as uh, as a score. I, I'm going to go ahead and give it a five. I, I think people might not like that just because they they might have some issues that with it, but I, I just found it fired on every cylinder I needed it to fire on. it. it the score, I absolutely love the, the score. In fact, if I could find this as a soundtrack on Spotify or just even uh, on CD or something, I would be picking it up because it was just so beautiful. The acting, I'm... I started it in English because I was actually starting it while also working, multitasking a little bit, but then I was 
getting too intrigued by it that I was like, okay, I know I'm going to actually watch it in its whole, and then I'm going to switch it to the Norwegian so I can get the, the actual conveyance of emotion um, from the actual actors. I thought the cinematography was great. Uh, the story was fantastic. So I, I just loved every, every bit of it. Yeah, I, I would say at least a four and a half. Okay. I mean, I, 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 I try not to give a full score on, on any movie. Um, but I, I'd say it was the better of the two. Um, it, that mystery aspect, it wasn't just a whole horror film. It had other stuff to it. Uh, you gave me two films to look at that were challenging for me because <laughs> of them being foreign films. I felt like, okay, the first two movies he gives me are not even American films, so now I'm going to have to really focus on it. And, uh, but I, I enjoyed both films. I, I would say this one was the better one. Yeah, I, well, I was, I was actually struggling trying to kind of figure out what to watch, and I knew both were on my list, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to cover them at some point, so... Might as well, might as well do them. Of course, I didn't know you didn't realize you could set the audio to English. Um, but yes, if you are not a fan of subtitles, um, you can watch them in English. Dubbing tends to, I would say that even though I only had minor experience with the dubbing for Cadaver, it was better than the dubbing for Nobody Sleeps in the Woods tonight. Um, that they seem to kind of match hearing both the Norwegian and then the dubbing, the voices, or at least their their uh, tones and, and how they actually sound when the voice is coming out were very similar to, to the actual Norwegian actor. So I think that that's why the dubbing might fit a little bit better for Cadaver. Um, but I, 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 I will always, uh, as someone who has been watching all of One Piece, um, all 900 some odd episodes, I have been watching all that in the original Japanese animation or uh, uh, dubbing, and I've been experiencing the American dubbing. And I will say the Japanese is far better than the American, even though it makes it a little bit harder to kind of follow sometimes. But uh, I'm glad you enjoyed them. Uh, we probably won't be doing foreign films next week. We'll we'll figure out what's uh, what's on the docket for next week, but. Uh, I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, Matt, I want to thank you for joining me. It was nice to have a, a, a film discussion like this. I think this is one of the few criticism film discussions we've ever really actually have had. Um, so it's been a really good conversation, and I think we've, we've had a really good uh, good episode. So I want to I thank you for being on and, and guesting this month. Um, and uh, let's go ahead and and close this thing out. So if you're not following the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at CriticsNTCynics. Follow the podcast on Facebook at the Critics Not Cynics podcast. And as always, uh, you can find the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Play. Uh, feel free to write into the podcast at CriticsNotCynics at gmail.com. And as always, uh, you know, leave us a rate and a review on iTunes or whatever service you use. It helps get the podcast out there. And we will talk to you guys next time.